Hi everyone and welcome to the Paramount Podcast. Um, it's great to be with you. I'm James Prescott. I'm the host. And um, today I've got um, a returning guest, um, Sarah Heath. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's um, good to be back. Yeah, 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 it is. Um, Sarah was on, I can't remember when she was on actually, when we when it was on, when it was posted, but a few weeks ago. Um, and she is a writer and a minister and a, a now published author. Um, her first book came out um, the week that we're recording this, which will probably be the week before you'll be hearing this. So um, <laughs> um, and we're going to be talking about that today. So, um, yeah, Sarah, just tell us about your book. Sure. Um, so it's called What's Your Story? Seeing Your Life Through God's Eyes. And uh, kind of the subtitle of it is um, How Joseph's Story Can Help You Tell Yours. Mm-hmm. And it's a look at um, your own story, understanding your own story, your own narrative, using um, Joseph Campbell, who wrote a book called, uh, well, he wrote a lot of books, but one of the books that was really influential for script writers, for screenwriters, was a book called A Hero Has uh, a Thousand Faces. Um, and it's really the idea that we are all, or every story kind of goes through um, a similar um, journey. So it talks a lot about it's sort of each chapter that I wrote is um, broken into three acts. And the first is sort of a, um, a little bit of a look at our own lives. And so it, um, I tell a bit of my story and then it, the next part of it is sort of story theory from Joseph Campbell. Um, and then the double entendre is that then it uses Joseph from the old Testament to tell, uh, a scriptural, um, story and how scripture often gets read as if it's a history book. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's the correct way to look at it because then that's really easy to go, well, that couldn't happen. Instead of seeing um, scripture for what I think it's meant to be uh, read as, which is story. And yes, sometimes those stories are, have some truth to them, but also the they really the inspiring part of it is all that uh, the person has gone through and come through the other side. So the book kind of helps people understand their own life as a story, to understand scripture as a story, and then to see how you can move your own story forward. And so um, it uses a lot of Joseph Campbell. It uses a lot of different um, story theorists. And it kind of is something you can do on your own because it has a journal as part of it. Or you can um, watch there's a DVD um, that has five folks really share their story. Well, really six folks because – uh, two of them are married, so there's five of them together telling five separate stories, um, and includes uh, Mike McCurg, Science Mike, who tells his story of being an atheist and what that was like then to uh, walk back to uh, his belief system. Um, it tells a story of one of my best friends had a heart transplant at 30, mm-hmm. and how um, his story took a, a radical turn. It, uh, my friend Michelle tells her story of being 32 years old, breastfeeding her second child when she's diagnosed with stage three breast cancer and how that actually has given her, given her <clears throat> kind of one of the biggest callings in her life. And then uh, also has my friend Dan Davidson, who is a pretty uh, well-known pastor in his area and things were going really well. He was um, this young hip pastor and then discovers that his wife is cheating on him. So he tells his story and how um, he lost his congregation, his health, um, all kinds of stuff, all within three months. And it was just a really difficult season, but he's come out to be this different person. And then um, my friends, Michael and Lisa Gungor, who are musicians, uh, tell their story of um, having a, a child that has Down syndrome and the same time as 
it comes out in the media that they're not um, fundamentalist Christians, that they're actually, they see things a little differently. And so um, it's really just a, a whole, I guess I call it a project about how our stories aren't really made when it's um, flatlining. Our stories are really made in the good and the bad times. Um, but most often it's the difficult times that kind of make us who we are. And we kind of have to go through those times to develop the character within us. So that's the whole book. It's called What's Your Story? And um, book, video, DVD, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> it is a really, really good book. I read it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it really, it really is. It's kind of it gets you to think about your own story, and I mean, it's so like I've been a been a fan of um, like the whole kind of power of story and the principles of story applying to our lives for quite a while. I mean, I read Donald Miller's book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, which is about like how he found the concept of story in his own life and how that changed his how that changed his life and. Um, yeah, some of the stuff he's done with storyline and everything. And that's, and that's what inspired me. Um, yeah. So I, they used to do storyline conferences, and I went to one, and I was in a particularly, I would say, sort of transitional time in my life where there was a couple of roads I could have gone down. And um, it was a difficult season, too. I think some things that I really thought were going to work out didn't work out the way they thought I thought they would. And I went to the storyline conference, and everyone else... Um, he got us to chart out our lives and he used the example of, of Joseph from the book of Genesis as a good story, not necessarily using the Joseph Campbell look at it, but just the book of, uh, or the story of Joseph from the Genesis story. And because of that, I being the Bible nerd that I am, um, I, instead of spending the time, like looking at my own story, I spent like the whole day charting out all of Joseph's story because I was so fascinated with, um, I think I was just sort of taking that story at face level and never uh, really dove into how he had to go through the things he went through to come through the other side and what that meant. Um, and mm -hmm. so I think in America, especially, and I think also in Britain, uh, there's this understanding that our stories are meant to be, you know, you do really well in high school from high school. You do really well. You get into the college you want to go to, you get the car that you want, the spouse that you want, and then that's success. But um, that really isn't a great story, nor is it one that we ever want to read. Um, and so it's sort of helping us to understand our what's going on in our stories and how we're being developed, I think, is the important part. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's really, 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 really true. It's like there is this story, and you're right, it is over here in the UK as well. Like, you know, the story is, you, yeah, like you say, you go to university, you find your you find your job and you get yeah. a stable job and then you then you get married and then you have kids and then um the kids grow up and they 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 go off and then you retire and, and that's it yeah and that's it and that's that's it and it's kind of like well just like there's nothing wrong with that story in one sense but it's mm -hmm. just like it's not the only story is it it's there's so many we're all different people we're all unique you know well i wouldn't i would say that that story isn't real. I don't think anyone goes through that story. I yeah, think you're right. Probably. Yeah. We curate it to look like that, whether it be on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but just being a pastor and, um, being in people's lives, I am constantly reminded that we often think we know people's stories and we don't, um, you know, um, 
I was reminded that this week there was this, there's this wonderful woman at our church who, uh, so we just went through Holy Week and, uh, we did this thing called Stations of the Cross where on, for uh, Good Friday, we had, you know, the uh, traditional Stations of the Cross are sort of the last movements of Christ, uh, towards the cross and crucifixion. And for our, um, artistic, uh, sort of take on it, we did the seven last sayings of Christ and we used, uh, people from the community took pictures like our, our community and took pictures from our community to sort of represent those seven last sayings. So, um, and it ends with into your hands, I commend my spirit. And so what we did is we had a worship service around the last seven sayings of Christ. And then people walked sort of around and looked at these beautiful photos that a local company actually put on uh, wood for us. So it was just a really powerful service. And we have this musician who was just so talented. So he just played music as people walked around and it was a really neat evening. Now there's this woman in our church who's just this wonderful older woman who, so we're a, a blend of an old and new congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh-huh. we're building this new thing within a 80 year old church within England. You guys just laugh. You're like 80 years old. You're just getting started. That building's yeah. new. That's a new yeah. building. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We have, have that up like four or 500 years old, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, My grandmother used to say, I tell you what, you Americans, something's 20 years old and you stick a plaque on it. My grandmother was from, um, She's a Geordie. So um, yeah. we had uh, we had this wonderful uh, moment where this woman who I get to look at her, she's had a pretty great life. Um, she has three children. Um, she has often joked to me about how she's been married three times. You know, she lives in Orange County and, you know, she's often just really dressed well and put together. And um, you would think her life, you know, has been one of uh, at least American success, right? Hmm. But one of the photos that was there was this uh, photo into your hands, I commend my spirit, that was a sky image that one of our um, young adults had taken that had a jet. All it was was a jet flying through this big sky. Hmm. And so there's nothing in the image except for the sky and the jet. Hmm. And this woman is just staring at it. And so she comes out and she looks at me then she asked me, who took that picture? Now, you have to understand that as a pastor of a restart congregation, sometimes the older folks in our congregation challenge me a lot um, because everything's changing. And so oftentimes I get like, who did this? <clears throat> and it's not a good thing. So when she said, who took this photo? I was like, oh, no. And I thought I was going to have to go into like, we're all expressing how we see these different, you know. And I said, well. Um, John did, who's one of our, he's our creative art, our, our, um, community care and growth guy. And he's just fantastic. And she said, it means a lot to me. And so she asked me if I knew how she had come to this church. And I said, no, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you came to this church. And so she tells me that when she was 29 years old, her and her husband had been living up in San Jose, which is North of here. And she came to visit um, her and her husband had decided to move to the area because he had been out of the military. He had gone into the private sector, but he missed it. And so he wanted to reenlist. And after much decision-making, they decided to reenlist. And so they were driving by the church and they saw the church and they said, this will be our church. Cause it's this really beautiful Spanish revival church. And it used to just be right in the middle of the city. And so they were driving by as they went to go buy their house and, um, they bought a house 
down in Dana Point, which is this beautiful area here. So she's 29. She has three kids, and they're moving on Friday. And on Wednesday, her husband um, goes up in a jet like he has before, and he has a horrible accident, and he doesn't survive. So she's 29 years old. She has three children. She doesn't know anyone, and she comes to the church community. Wow. And that photo to her, into your hands, I come in. My spirit, she said, it reminds me of my first husband and being a widow at 29. And she says, you know, this church really helped rebuild me. And it was just this beautiful moment of her, like, talking about um, what this church meant to her. She actually ended up meeting her her next husband who became um, just a really big part of her kids' lives and a really big part of the church community. And wow. her story was just so wonderful. And I think how many people do we pass on the street that have these incredible stories and when we're going through something, we don't even know to ask them about it. Or we think our own story doesn't have much value or the places of pain or shame. We just kind of um, box them up. I often say to people, there's a gospel inside of you that only you have, that if you don't share it with someone, they may never hear it. Because um, some people will never open scripture or will never get to experience um well, you hope they will, but they will never get to experience God's love of you in some way. It's not a pressure thing, but there really is something about you that is unique that you can share. And so that's kind of the the, the thrust or the why I think story is so powerful. So I went to that conference um, thinking that I was going to do a lot of inner work. But for me, I did a lot of work on scripture while I was there. And then later I started to look at my own life and look at the places where, you know, I... I look at the sacred and the secular and I don't see a huge line like other people do. I really think God's hand is in so many things and I don't like when we say, Oh, that's secular or that's sacred. And mm -hmm. one of the things I was staring at was um, a storyline that I had plotted out and I noticed it looked a lot like a heartbeat. And I had recently gone um, to a hospital where um, we had lost somebody and I noticed that, you know, as he was passing his, his, uh, you know, his heartbeat started getting flatter and flatter. And I was thinking so many of us want to live a life that's just sort of a flat line. Like, and we want one that kind of just goes straight up, right? Like everything, it just gets awesome. And then it gets more awesomer. And the truth is, is when life, when like the meat of the world, it looks like a heartbeat, right? It goes up and down. And, um, I think so often the times when I, my life is in a difficult spot, I want to see that as like the whole story and it's not. Um, so yeah, that's my passion around story. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. It really is. Um, I mean, I, I've spoken to people who... It's funny you use that metaphor of the heartbeat. Um, you know, they haven't heard that. They, because they said to me that they can't quite enjoy the highs anymore because mm. they always they always know that it's going to come... That, that, some, that there's going to be a low after that. Like, And not that it's just... They're not in the sense of... Oh, I've just had a really good moment in my life, and then something, and I now know that something's going to come along and ruin it. But, but just a recognition that this is how life is—that you have these, you have these high moments, but that that's not, it doesn't stay like that forever, you know. Um, you know, you do have the down moments. You do have the like when I launched my book, that was kind of a big, big like high, a big moment. Like a, there was so much build up to that, and then it kind of happened, and then there was a come down after that and it was like oh that's kind of over you know that I mean I'm still promoting the book but the actual launch is over and it's kind of like and there's a big drop off you know 
And because I didn't have anything like else to go to at that point, it was it was a lot it was a lot worse. Like, and somebody said to me that like next time, make sure you have the next thing to go to already, and you're already working on that. You're already in that because there will be a drop off after those big big moments. And if you have something else to go to, it makes it a bit easier. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. I've had friends who have um, taken, like they've gone through uh, really difficult, whether it be like a psychological issue or whatever and had to take medication. One of the things my friend recently said to me is, what I don't like is that I don't have the lows anymore, but I also don't have the highs. It's that like medium feeling about all things. And that really does feel like a a big loss, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think we're meant to um, be sort of stagnant and straight, but it does, I think recognizing in the really great times Mm -hmm. and preparing to move ourselves forward. I think about um, like celebrities because of where I live, right? I live in California. Um, Mm -hmm. I literally, (laughs) we were were walking across the street uh, yesterday from my church and uh, someone, you know how someone can like almost go past the the stop point. Mm-hmm. So we were just we just saw them like just, and they were nowhere near hitting us. They just kind of like went a little bit bit past. And just in like a nonchalant voice, I just looked at my friend and I said, "Oh, Dennis Rodman almost hit us." And at first she thought I was kidding, and then she turned around and went, "Oh my gosh, that is Dennis Rodman." And that's <laughs> kind of stuff that happens around here all the time. Um, yeah. And you think about these celebrities and. What is interesting to me, and I have a lot of friends who were in film as kids or whatever it might be, and they experienced that real, real high, real early. And they never learned how to deal with when that goes away. Mm. So it would be as if they had done a book or something like you're talking about, really young, and everybody just thought they were so great. And everyone around them is just constantly telling them, you're the best and you're going to be the best. And then when that isn't true, you know, I think about Lindsay Lohan and all she's gone through. Mm. People don't know how to live in the normalcy at all. You actually find that too with people who have gone through great trauma. If they don't learn to process that that isn't reality, that's not the way it's going to stay. Even when life should be getting better or sort of normalizing, they don't know how to exist in that. And they often cause drama around it. You know, I, I think the story that we sell sometimes within Christianity is like, once you meet Jesus, everything gets better. And that's not actually true. Because once you meet Jesus, life is still life. However, now you have a different lens with which to look at it. I remember, right, mm-hmm. 2008 was a, a big time around Orange County and big time around America. A lot of folks lost a lot of money, whether it be in the stock market or whatever. And a lot of people had been given their identity as, I am someone who is a mover and a shaker and I make a lot of money and that's what I do. And I was a a youth and college pastor at the time, but I was overwhelmed with the number of men in particular who were coming in my office to say, I thought I was this. Then when that was taken from me, when that success that I thought was a forever going thing, I don't know who I am anymore because they only knew themselves as constantly winning and they thought those around them needed that. I think the most tragic one was a young adult in my college group had gone home um, in the fall. I believe it was in the fall, like around Thanksgiving. And his father had actually committed suicide. What they discovered is his father had been going to work every day, even though he had been laid off. He would put on a suit and act like he was going to work every day. 
because he did not know what his identity outside of work was. And he was hoping he would get a job in time for his, so he had so much family, uh, you know, shame around his, his identity as a uh, breadwinner and all this sort of stuff was so threatened by his experience of, of not getting to be who he thought he was going to be. And so he, um, it was just so interesting to be in ministry around that time because so many people's identity was wrapped up in those highs. And so they didn't know how to narrate the lows. And I think that's, it's actually kind of typical of teenagers too. You know, you find teenagers who are reading one chapter of their life and they think that's the forever, right? Mm. This is how my life will always be forever. And it takes a lot of ups and downs for you to realize that no, it keeps going. The story keeps going. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I agree because I, I mean, I had a I had a childhood trauma. I had a teenage trauma. You know, like um, my mum got ill and. Um, lost her short-term memory and 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 as a result she became depressed and like alcoholic and it broke up my parents marriage and my parents were fighting every day when I was a teenager and I was coming home from school when I was getting bullied and nothing was getting done about it and my parents were fighting so it was kind of a big trauma you know um and from experience I know that that's you can get into your head that this is just what life is like all the time you know and in this sense, is you can kind of minimise it as well. Because I think I minimised what I went through for a long time. I was like, oh, that's just like bad stuff that happens sometimes, you know. And it's like, well, actually, that wasn't just bad stuff. That was kind of a big deal that was actually quite traumatic and kind of probably changed you and had a, had a kind of negative impact on you. Um, and it's only when I've recognised that that I've begun to get healing from it. But I think one of the, one of the side effects was that I started to numb the good mm. stuff because I didn't because I was waiting for it to go wrong you know um, the, I think the calmest day, the calmest I've ever been was the day my mum died because it was like and I think there was something in there it was like ah oh, now the worst has happened I can relax because nothing mm. else, because nothing worse can happen than this you know like you know what I mean and that's really sad that that it, <laughs> that it was like that but but that's kind of how I trained my brain to be and yeah, it's really scary what we can do to ourselves when we go through trauma, that we can start to kind of just numb, we start to numb the pain, but we also, but when we numb the pain, you start to numb the good stuff as well. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting way of protecting ourselves, right? Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, actually the thing from storyline that um, Donald Miller talks a lot about is um, Logos Theory Counseling which is the idea of making meaning out of your trauma. Right. And I really like that. But I also like when you take that, to take that a step further, which is to understand it as the sacred wounding in you. Henri Nouwen um, talks a lot about sacred woundings. And I think, I wonder how when I look back on my timeline, some of those places where I thought I was like winning and then lost really quickly, I have been these places that have opened me up to others in a way that I can say me too, mm. which I think is the most powerful thing in ministry. It's the most powerful thing in life is to be able to look at someone in their pain and in their darkness and say, you know, not in a way that says, I know exactly what you're going through, but in a way that says like, that's, I'm in the human experience with you. Um, 
And I do, I actually talk a lot to um, people who are launching new businesses. And we talk a lot about, as an entrepreneur, why are you doing this? And so what we do is we look back at their timeline and we try to help them figure out what is the trauma or the experience or what in your life makes you uniquely poised to want to solve this, whatever it is that you are creating a business to do. Hmm. And it's interesting because people often don't realize why it is they feel so driven to do whatever it is. Um, you know, we've had people who do amazing stuff with marriages who, you know, grew up in a home where their mom was divorced. Like I forget, I think he said something like 18 times. Like it's an incredible amount. Um, between him and his wife, both of their moms have been married. So each mom's been married like nine times. Um, and the trauma of growing up in that, um, helped him and his wife really understand, like we want something different. And so they created this amazing uh, organization called Marriage 365 that talks about like what marriage is and what marriage isn't. And um, again, it's that sacred wounding or that thing that only you have gone through that you can um, use, I think, in a way that is positive. Now you have to really, you have to honor it. You can't gloss over it. So yeah. like if you yeah. have never dealt with what happened to you as a teenager, you can almost use it <clears throat> in a way to be like, Oh yeah, I, I've dealt with that. And if you haven't, it's not that incredibly helpful because it's not real or true. You haven't experienced it um, and really allowed yourself to experience it. So, Yeah, and I've started to talk about that more recently in some of the writing I've done. Hmm. And I wrote this blog post about anxiety and about um, how my church was so understanding and gracious and, you know, like um, a good experience of church and mental health, you know. And I think that which, connected with a lot. Of, sorry, as I say, which is great because I don't think that's always everyone's experience of it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I wrote it because I wanted to give people hope, really, that there are some good churches out there that, and this is how maybe churches should approach this stuff, you know. And I know that sharing that that post has connected with a lot of people who have gone through some similar struggles and have kind of contacted me and told me that it was quite encouraging for them, and you know. Um, and that's what happens when you share a bit of your own wound um, you, and you go into that and you engage with that, then you can help other people because then they suddenly realize, you know, me too, like I'm not alone. I think it has to be processed, you know, as well. Um, I think yeah. the wounding itself has to be processed and looked at um, okay. because I think if you're still in a, a place of pain, it can be, um, yeah. it can be unhealthy for you to like open it up. But I think it, and I don't mean fully processed, like totally understood, but sort of, like you said, something that you looked at and you started to think about what does this mean and what is this about? And that's kind of like why I use the story of Joseph, because people often think like if you had just ended the story with him saving all those people and getting to be, you know, the right hand man of Pharaoh, that's a great, that's like, that is like the western story of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps as my British grandmother would say um and it's a good story but it's not until he goes into the pain of his brothers that it becomes this like epic story mm -hmm. right yeah. you know Tolkien style story where these very people that had been what many would call like gatekeepers or been really you know horrible to him in every way actually threatened his actual life. Um, and they're your family. So there is no betrayal worse than that. And then for him to be able to 
move into a season of caring and providing for them, if he hadn't gone through all he'd gone through and processed and seen that as God um, using him in beautiful ways, you know, the story would look very different. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's why I love that story so much because there's so much depth beyond where we would normally end the story. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I yeah I love that story as well. It really is a very epic story, the story of Joseph for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and a lot of scriptures that way, you know. There's a lot of depth and things that we miss out on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like even in like the Gospels, I um, I talked to a guy called Alexander Shire, and he talked about he shared with me this idea of the the quadratos journey, like the four. Um, the four stages of Quadratos, which is like basically about our journey of identity through the four Gospels. Mm. Um, Matthew, Mark, John, and then Luke, in that order. And um, the four different paths. And we go through different paths at different stages of our lives. And the way that these, the way that the Gospels are written as literature, like, helps us to kind of connect with Jesus and kind of connect with his story. Um, and it's really interesting because it's opened up the story of Jesus in a whole new way for me um, and actually allowed me to connect with Jesus. There was one, there was one, there was one, I mentioned it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, when Jesus is in the garden and um, he says, here is my betrayer, like, and Jesus is just there. And immediately he's named Judas as his betrayer. He says, friend, do what you've come here to do. So he's named him as his betrayer, but he still calls him friend. Mm. you know and and for me like, I've had my, like in the last 20 years I've had times when I've been so angry with God and like wanted to shout at God and wanted to um, like rant at him and tell him I, and I've told him I hated him and and it was like it was suddenly in that moment I was when I heard that story I was kind of like oh like this is me like I'm Judas like <laughs> like every time I did that and I was about to do that Jesus was there saying, just, friend, do what you what you came here to do. You know, like, yeah. come and have a go at me, shout at me, tell me you hate me. I'm still your friend and I still love you, you know. Um, and it kind of broke me a little bit. It kind of, it was just an experience of grace. You know, that whole story is a story about grace. And we kind of miss that sometimes. And so, yeah, it's really, really good when we can, yeah, when we see these stories of scripture and kind of unpack them and see them as bigger than the, than we often talk about them. I often think too that Judas, um, you know, goes and hangs himself and doesn't because he thinks the story's over. Yeah. And I wonder if he hadn't thought the story was over, if he had waited, he would have because he didn't do anything worse than Peter in some ways. I mean, yes, he was the one that turned him over and all that sort of stuff, but I wonder what it would have been like for him to receive grace because, Mm. you know, we learn he doesn't keep the money. He didn't, like, all that it was is lost. He goes and takes his life, and I think Mm. how often we think the end of the story has happened, and so we exist in a reality that, you know, the impossible could happen. You know, I, I don't think Peter ever would have thought he would get to see Jesus again and get to say, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. And yeah. be redeemed for all of that. There, yeah, there is a contrast between them. Like, that Peter, Peter doesn't, 
doesn't give in to despair. He kind of, I mean, he doesn't completely just give up completely, you know. Um, whereas Judas kind of just goes into a pit of despair and can't escape from it. And so the only, his only escape is to kill himself, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lesson for us, like, you know, are we going to just give in to despair and then it overwhelm us? Or are we going to, um, are we willing to kind of go back and, like, trust that there's something beyond even that moment, you know? And it's hard to do, and I think that's why even people... Speaking out about why it's important to do things like therapy and counseling and really work on yeah. instead of just denying, you know, instead of just saying, no, like all once you meet Jesus, everything's great. And then someone sitting in worship is like, it's not great. Um, like, mm-hmm. And then they feel like there's something wrong with them instead of no, like you can you can have part of your story you know, revealed. And I think we, we walk around curating our lives, whether it be on social media or what we tell our friends or what we don't tell our friends. And, um, what's interesting is that I think often the most powerful parts of our stories are those things that we are not willing to put on Instagram, you know, and I think there is just so much value in still being part of a community that says, Hey, we're all working through something. Um, And I think that was what, for me, the Good Friday service, where I kind of got to see a glimpse of this woman who um, has been through so much more than I could. I can't comprehend being 29 and a widow with three children when your husband has left the military. Like, you thought everything was safe. And then he has decided to reenlist because it's his passion. And then you lose him. I can't imagine what her life was like for several years as she was dealing with, is this what my new life is? Am I, is this how this is going to go? And I think there's so much beauty and power in her even sharing that with me because it gave me this moment to be like, no, you lived so much more life after that, you know? Yeah, and that wasn't the end of her story. That's the beautiful thing. It wasn't the end of her story, you know, because she found another husband, which is, and like, you know, and that's not to dismiss what, she went through it all. It's just that, you know, that that wasn't the the the, the darkest day of her life wasn't the last day of her life. Right. Yeah. You know. Right. And yeah. I think that's the that's the one thing I felt like was a little bit different um, for for me as I was doing the storyline thing. He kind of said, "You're moving towards one climactic moment," and I I think instead I think we're moving towards a bunch of different climactic moments, hmm. and I think. Um, I do think that Donald Miller's work is brilliant. Um, and I actually, I talk about him a lot in the book because I think it's, he's the one for me that started this understanding our lives as narrative. And so um, I just really wanted to recognize that that's where that work began for me. But um, he's also just a really nice guy as Don. Um, but I think that the idea that I love what you just said, the darkest day isn't your last. And sometimes that can be hopeful and sometimes that's the worst word you can hear. Yeah. Because you just wish it would end. Yeah. And I've got a couple of friends going through some really difficult times right now. And as we've been talking, they just keep saying to me, but I just wish it was over. I know this is only part of my story, but I can't keep moving. And so I think it is um, It's helpful to say, you know, not say there's always look for the silver lining, but instead say, I know this hurts and I don't understand why this is the current chapter that you're in, 
but I believe there are more chapters. And even if you're not ready to believe that, I'm going to hold on to that for you. Mm. So that's just kind of where I'm at with, with stories. <laughs> and why I, I've, I've loved... I, I get to speak at a lot of events, and when I speak on on this particular thing, it's so interesting to me how so many people are being affected by that. You know, people even I've had friends say, uh, "I didn't know that was in you <laughs> until they read it," and then or they like have heard me speak at these events, and uh, it has been really interesting how powerful it is to suggest to people that knowing your story is the most powerful thing. You have this powerful thing that no one else has, and that's your own story, your own way of looking. And even as an artist, <clears throat> we're so afraid of creating our creative. We're so afraid of creating because we think other people have created something so similar. And yet there is a way that we look at it and the way that we see it that is uniquely us. And so we have to and we must continue writing the story or living the story out. Um, and so, yeah, I have this big wood thing that... Uh, Woodsnap, actually, the company that um, they've just been so great to me. They printed one of the images from my uh, book on a because some of it is typography, so there's art in it as well. Um, that's part of my story is that I'm an artist as well, and so uh, myself and a, another amazing artist, Emily Shocker, did some artwork in it to help people journal around. And there's this um, thing that we made that said, "What story would the world miss if you didn't tell yours?" And I think that's the thing is we all have this like story in us and the world would miss it if we didn't tell it. What, That's the beauty of humanity. What story would the world miss if you didn't tell yours? Wow. That's yeah. awesome. That is really awesome. Um, thank you. That's a really good yeah. place to end actually. It's like, that's so, so, well, this has been such a good conversation. I, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's really, really good. Um, and I'm looking forward and I have to see where your story is headed yeah yeah that's right i mean that book was really kind of apt for me where i where i am in my kind of my own story right now it was kind of what i needed you know um and i'll, I'll probably go and read it again you know because um, <laughs> um you know it was it was so helpful for me um and i know it'll be helpful for all of you guys if you uh listeners go out and buy this book because it's um it's really great so thanks James. Um, yeah, and um, and we'll have Sarah back again sometime, I'm sure. So um, that would be great. Yeah. So thanks everyone. Um, that's it for this week, and um, we will talk soon.